Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. Today's episode is actually going to be a comrade mommy installment, so just get ready for that. If parenting related things are not your bag, feel free to skip over this uh, and listen to one of the other episodes about For example, the Reading Revolution series, which uh, Richard and I do together regarding writing and speeches and the like written by that inspired leftists of color, Um, or the Left Pocket Project podcast interviews and uh, news breaks and things like that. Um, So obviously there's something out there for everyone who's interested in left-related discussions, but obviously Comrade Mommy is one that is related to left-related parenting discussions, but again, still relevant to those of you who don't have kids um, or who perhaps are interested in having kids, um, but wanted to kind of hear what it's like to be a parent and also still be a leftist. And I say still because, you know, one of the things that we hear often is, oh, when you get older, you're going to be more conservative, or when you have kids, you're going to become more conservative. And that has not been the case for me, fortunately. Um, But this particular episode is going to be about politics and how to deal with children and explaining political issues and things like that. It's going to be a bit stream of consciousness style like the other episode. Um, And by the way, they're not all going to be like this, but it's just the case for me that sometimes, you know, it's the middle of the night and I'm just finally... I just finally have some time to myself and I'm sharing it with you all. Um, I should be sleeping, right? But anyway, um, I use these uh, recordings to kind of talk about things that have been on my mind and that I've come across, <clears throat> excuse me, as a parent. Um, just for those who may not know, <clears throat> edit. I am the proud mom of an eight-month going on nine-month-old. My baby was born at the end of February and kind of a, I'm sad to say, but a pandemic baby. And I say that only because she was born like right before our state went on lockdown. I literally uh, went from pregnancy to C-section recovery to NICU for three weeks. Uh, She came home and then lockdown was pretty much like a couple days later. Um, And my husband and I have been pretty much on self-assigned lockdown ever since. Not pretty much, quite literally. Um, We only go to the grocery store and we do, you know, curbside pickup. Um, We go to the pharmacy and I go on walks with the baby around the neighborhood. I add all of this because it is related very explicitly to a discussion of politics, particularly in this country where things are just completely haywire regarding the um, pandemic. So all of that wound up, um, all that wind up, I should say, to to say, welcome to the episode. Can you tell I'm a mom yet? Um, not to stereotype moms, but I'm certainly one that falls into the stereotypical category of being a bit scattered. Um, a bit all over the place, but still, you know, I'm pulling out some salient points here and there when I have my wits about me, but I'm tired most of the time and doing my best to stay on, on track here. So 
my apologies if for some of you this comes across as way too random or way too all over the place. That's just sort of where my mind is. So I wanted to have this discussion about politics actually for a variety of reasons. The most obvious one being that we just had a major election for president. Um, for those of you who are not in the U.S., congratulations. Uh, be proud of yourselves. You've managed to live outside of like the center of hyper-capitalist exploitation and um, neglect and abuse of the population. So good for you. Most likely you're living in a place where the government respects and honors and like cares about its people. Unfortunately, we don't live in a place like that if you happen to be living in the United States. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this, um, if you're on the left, you consider yourself left aligned or lefty of, of any sort, um, however far to the left. I am sure that this election was a bit just frustrating for you um, because on the one hand, you may not be into electoral politics at all, which is a stance that I fully respect and understand. Um, for others of you, you may look at this election and say, wow, we have like a, a really shitty two choices, quote unquote choices, if they're choices at all within this system, right? Because we only have two parties officially that are recognized and uh, that garner votes every four years. Then there's another category of people who, of course, are looking at this not only disgusted, but saying they're not interested in voting at all, which I respect. Um, and I can, you know, to explain my decision in a bit, what I did this year um, for context. But then there's another category as well that's like really into electoral politics, but frustrated and, um, you know, voted for the quote unquote lesser two evils knowing full well that, unfortunately, the quote-unquote lesser of those two evils is also going to be up to a whole lot of evil uh, once he's in office. So, yeah, it's just, it's one of those moments where you look at the situation and you take a deep sigh because the options uh, within the system are not that great. But on top of that, the other thing that added to the stress of this election was the fact that it's been so prolonged. So people voted by mail because there's a massive pandemic going on and people are dying at, in really large scales in this country. Today we reached 133,000 133, um, cases, which is absurd. Um, by the way, just for the record, today is the 10th going into the 11th. So it's Wednesday morning at 1.42 a.m. as I'm recording this. Um, and like, so we have these massive numbers of, of pandemic um, victims. And then we're trying to vote in the middle of that. Um, so many states allowed for vote by mail, which makes perfect sense. Um, and the government which is far right, of course, was not super happy about that because it meant that A, there were people who actually took the pandemic seriously and cared about their lives, and B, that there was a potential uh, for people who were left-leaning and actually did take the pandemic seriously to vote uh, and to vote safely from their homes, therefore allowing for a decent um, voter turnout. And what's interesting is that both Republicans and Democrats turned out in like the highest number, so both Biden and Trump broke records um, for turnout, which is really amazing considering the situation on our hands. But I think it's because of that situation, obviously, that we saw such a large turnout. So what was frustrating about it is that it didn't end 
uh, on November 3rd because of this, and there are still counts ongoing, while Joe Biden has been confirmed, uh, or not confirmed, I should say, but projected the winner uh, based on his Electoral College votes and popular vote, of course, being higher than that of Trump. Trump is contesting the results um, and has not conceded, probably will never concede. Um, and so this is sort of a prolonged fight. There are concerns at the moment about a coup. There are concerns about um, mishaps and misdealings and misdeeds in these recounts. So there's a lot to be, um, if you follow this sort of thing and you, you care about it, a lot to be stressed out about. Um, even if you don't follow it and don't care that much about it, it still manages to trickle into your life, perhaps by way of podcasts like these. So I apologize, um, but I'm sure you have family members or friends or someone in your life that might be talking about it. And that's the case for me. Um, so my husband has been like tracking this and following it very closely and things like that and concerned. Um, and while I, of course, also follow it just by virtue of trying to stay informed, um, I've followed it with a sort of heavy feeling like something really bad is going to happen or like, um, I feel unsettled and I've expressed on, on social media, for example, that even though Biden won, um, or has been projected the winner and people were out celebrating and things like that, which is absolutely their right. And like, that's great. Good for them. I did not feel the same elation because I recognized what his politics are. Um, and where he, you know, spends his time and energy uh, and has in the past um, in terms of protecting finance, the financial industry, protecting banks and, and valuing their, um, you know, social importance, if you will, over that of the people and kind of the sanctity of these institutions over the lives of, you know, poor people, black and brown people, immigrants and the like. So it's it's obviously frustrating because I don't like Trump, just in case that's not obvious. He's terrible. Um, for Republicans in general are terrible. But it frustrates me to no end to see Democrats trying to compete with them in terms of how closely tied they can be to industries and, and sectors that harm us and institutions that harm us that they also uphold um, and reinforce. So with all that said... Um, you know, I think it's really important that we find ways to simplify this discussion and talk about it with children. The thing that really compelled me to make this about, um, you know, something for parenting in particular, because I've, I've, I did a podcast uh, for Michael Salomon's podcast, which is great. I did an interview with him about the elections, um, and I've just been sort of talking to people here and there. Um, so you should check out his podcast for my like real breakdown of the election and discussion about politics and things surrounding that. But um, just on a personal level, you know, I was thinking a lot like how how do we explain things like this to children? My my child, of course, is not old enough to understand, but she's seen us watching the news and talking about these things, and you know, we gotta wonder how much of that stress um, can be absorbed even by a baby. But then the other thing is that I'm in these groups, right? And anyone listening to this who's a parent knows what I'm talking about. So there are all these social media groups and like online forums and things like that for parents, many of which are terrible and that made me want to start Comrade Mommy. <laughs> um, but many of them are, you know, these web-based uh, forums and, and groups and whatnot try to sort of be quote-unquote apolitical 
which is absurd because having a baby is in and of itself political. You end up like dealing with all these political issues, insurance, healthcare, schooling, clothing, you know, like activities and how to teach your child about the world and how your child goes through the world if they're a person of color or disabled in some way or whatever. There's so many things that change when we have a child and that affect a child that are highly, highly, highly political. So you, it's like, it's crazy to me that they have these uh, forums about children and babies in which you're not supposed to discuss politics or that are supposed to be quote unquote, you know, politically neutral or apolitical when there's absolutely no such thing. Um, and I think in that sort of silencing or, um, you know, attempts at neutrality, much like in history and any other space, it ends up leaning conservative as a, as a product of that, right? As a result of that. Because if you can't talk about the politics, you end up being kind of, it, there's like a bystander aspect to this in which you just let things go um, unaddressed and or poorly addressed, ill-addressed, whatever the phrase is. It's two o'clock in the morning, so forgive me. But you know what I mean? Like there are people who... By not saying anything, are saying a lot, right? And in not discussing things, we're basically censoring ourselves. And I think that children are able to understand things as long as we break it down to them in ways that that make sense to them, um, even if they're difficult topics, because eventually they're going to have to confront and deal with these things, or they're going to be confronted by these things. Um, I think specifically of like you know, black children and police brutality and whatnot, or even brutality in schools, they have to be equipped to deal with certain things that white children perhaps are not necessarily going to be dealing with um, and may not have parents have to talk to them about. So I think that, you know, we have to think about these things as, as even with very young children. And, you know, in one of these forums that I'm in, which is a hellscape and I'm not going to name, but you know, I'm sure some of you have been similarly terrible forums. In this forum, um, there was a mother who claimed to be a minority. She used those words, quote unquote, that word minority, which is a strange word to use if you're a person of color or like of whatever, like non-white ethnic group or fill in the blank. Um, but anyway, that aside, she said she was a minority and that she had a mother-in-law and like uh, an aunt or something like some some family member from family members sorry from the other side of her family who were taking care of her child during the day which as she worked or something um, and that they were Democrats or at least didn't like Donald Trump um, and often said things about him that were according to the person posting negative right quote unquote negative. Um, and they would say things like he doesn't respect women or he's racist or whatever. And the person who posted this didn't like that her, um, relatives were involving politics. Quote, they were like, they literally used the phrase putting politics on the baby. Um, and so first of all, like, I don't, I'm not really sure how calling Donald Trump exactly what he is, is more offensive than what he actually does or says. But, you know, that's not for me to really judge. I don't, I'm not sure, I don't follow the reasoning there, but whatever. Um, that's not the point of this. 
But in the posts, you know, they were just saying that they were upset about it and that they were, um, they were literally like censoring themselves within the post. So instead of saying Trump or Biden, they would say like one candidate or another candidate. And when it was very obvious, like the candidates they were talking about, so it was really strange. Um, and so long story short, you know, a lot of people responded kindly and were just saying like, you know, you should talk to your relatives or whatever and just let them know you're not comfortable with them talking about politics in front of the baby or whatever, you know, like just be an adult about it and talk to them and see what they say. Um, but you know, I just started thinking like, why would you, how, how could you support someone like Trump, but then you don't want your relatives talking about the things that he said or done and why that's bad in front of your child. I mean, just on a very objective level, how does it make sense that some of the things he says or has done are appropriate for a child to think of as good. So it's not, I'm not talking so much about like a child being exposed to those things because obviously that depends on the parent, but I'm talking about not saying that the things that he does are bad, um, or not good or not a good example, right? So there, there are things that you can say, um, to a child that, that you can sort of frame it in their in their way of thinking so that it's not so much an outright condemnation of what the person says but instead to say if they happen to be exposed to these things that you know that's not a nice way to talk about people or that's not a good way to treat other people or for example you should keep your hands to yourself um you shouldn't grab people or um you know you shouldn't make fun of people with disabilities or who are of a different color than you etc so there are things that you can say to children to make them understand and again i have a very young child so she's she can't talk she doesn't you know, she babbles here and there, but she's not like having full on conversations with me, at least that I understand. Um, but it is, you know, it's worth noting that like I've worked with children before in other settings and things like that, even though they weren't my own children. Um, and I've had to deal with some pretty major, like trying to explain major is issues to small children. And it's always important to think back to like when you were a child, right? And what you saw and what you experienced and sort of how you dealt with those things, how you processed what may have been forms of adversity in your life and try to put yourself in their shoes in order to explain to them um, what they're seeing or to explain to them, you know, perhaps how to react to what they're seeing or how they can protect themselves in certain instances, things like that. So when it comes to politics, I don't think, and especially as a parent who's a leftist, I don't think that we should censor everything, you know, like shield our child from everything. I don't think that's necessary. Um, I also don't think that we should like intentionally traumatize our children or put them in situations where they're going to be harmed in some way so that we can teach them a lesson, like to make like, every aspect of their life, you know, like a learning moment or teaching moment or whatever. I, I don't think that's necessary. And I know some people do engage in that kind of behavior um, and that I don't necessarily agree with. But I think that, you know, I've seen, for example, um, several people I know who are activists who have children, you know, they'll bring their children to daytime um, protests, for example, and they try to keep them shielded from physical harm if they're things like 
um, you know, if there are police overreacting and whatnot, they obviously vacate the premises within their ability, things like that. I think that there are ways to have children engage um, in very direct ways. But at the same time, I think the most important element, like the most important component is not just their physical presence, but sort of do they understand what they're there for? And um, so a good example, for example, was, uh, or a good example, I don't need to say example twice, a good example was during the summer, uh, the summer's George Floyd protests. And obviously, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, does a lot of advocacy on their own that I think is fairly easy to just read out, but like kind of filter in a way that makes more sense to children. But if you're just having a conversation with your child, let's say your child says, you know, why are people protesting? Um, or why are people upset? Or even, you know, more in, in depth here, like, or direct, why was this man killed? And you can explain that, you know, sometimes um, because of the world that we live in and the way things are are done, there is unfortunately, um, you know, a system or a structure or a group of of you know, I guess you could say like a group of of institutions. And if they don't understand institution, if they're like really really young, you know, it's like a group of people, a group of people who make decisions and who make laws that um, unfortunately have negative direct impacts direct effects on certain groups of people and I think the harder part is then you kind of have to go into like okay what is slavery what is, it's like there's so many historical aspects to this that are very difficult to explain to small children and so again think about like how do you explain slavery how do you explain Jim Crow how do you explain racial discrimination but to like a three-year-old or a four-year-old better, you know, like four-year-old or five-year-old or even like eight-year-old, um, especially if they haven't experienced any discrimination on their own, you know, in their own lives. And you just have to keep breaking it down, keep breaking it, breaking it. And the other thing too is like children are inquisitive, right? Children are going to ask. Even if they don't understand something, at least not all children are like this, but many children will say, why over and over until they get their answer or like what do you mean by that word you know what does that word mean um what do you mean by system what do you mean by institution um but but further you know let them I think come to you first about certain things that's the other aspect of this that's important you don't have to force things on your kid either right um and and I understand like the person who wrote the post for the forum was basically arguing that her relatives were forcing things onto her children but clearly based on the posters like advocacy of Trump most likely her child had been exposed in some way or another to what Trump has said and so you know it's not like the child was necessarily shielded altogether from all politics I think what ends up happening though is that we assume that every environment in which politics is being discussed is not appropriate for a child, and that's that's not what I agree with. So I think in a situation where you know you you're dealing with very difficult issues, you don't want to overexpose and confuse and overwhelm the child with these issues. But you do want to be able to have a relationship with your child, where if your child comes to you with questions, you're ready with answers, and you're ready with answers that are easily digestible and understandable for a small child. 
another way of, you know, I remember when I was little, one of the things that, that we did a lot is we often explained things through crayons or through Barbies or through some sort of toy or um, activity that allowed for us to sort of connect through haptic learning with a specific issue or concern. Um, one of the best ways to talk about race is with crayons. Um, you know, there are all different crayons in the box and they come in different colors and different people have different colors. Um, and, and then I think from a discussion about race as it, like as a sort of, uh, or a skin color thing, right? From there, you can transition into talking about racism, but again, on a very low low level for children. So you could say, you know, there are some groups of people who for a very long time have not included or accepted that people come in these different colors and that they're all equal as humans, right? Or as people, we should all be equal. We should all be treated with respect um, and accepted. But unfortunately, because of certain things that happen in history, there are groups of people of this color or that color, or whatever, however you want to explain it to your child, um, that are not seen as equal. And then your child may ask questions like, well, what's equality? And then or what's, what do you mean by like things that happen in history? And it depends on the level of your child, um, when and how you can talk about these things. But I think in general, as an overall principle, we don't need to Again, this is just me, but we don't need to shelter our children to the point that they are naive or out of touch when they do become adults or when they do become slightly older children. We don't want them to be necessarily shocked by what they see, but we also don't want them to accept it as the norm and that's just the way it is. Like There has to be a sort of intervention of sorts where we explain why certain things that happen in this society are actually not good. And that they and their friends and whatever and all of us can work toward making those things better by changing them. And so I think in that sense, you know, in some ways, this election was a nice avenue through which to teach exactly these types of lessons. And obviously, again, on a very low level, right? Like I'm not, I don't, you don't need to start explaining neoliberalism to your children. But you can say you know, if you're if you're doing sort of like small lessons about what elections are and what politicians are, what the president's job is, etc., you can also incorporate into that, you know, the idea of voting is in general a way for people to express when they are not happy with something that one president has done um, or one president has said. You know, there are ways to kind of reduce um, the complexity to explain it to them. And then I think also just oddly, despite the onslaught of news and like the stress that it may cause parents, these sorts of moments give us opportunities to explain elements of elections to our children. So you can talk about the electoral college and what might be wrong with that. Um, why, you know, again, depending on the age of the child, but like why something like the electoral college was implemented. Um, you can talk about voter suppression. You can talk about the history of voting in this country. You can talk again about, um, you know, racism and sexism and things like that in terms of how voting was instituted. There's so many different opportunities that you can take from the election to talk about 
with your children um, and to really grapple with difficult issues that even some adults don't understand precisely because they may not have and may not have been in an environment where someone took the time to explain it to them. And so I think it's good to start early. This is this is the case even if you're not into electoral politics, precisely because it's just good to be knowledgeable of what's going on. You don't have to necessarily engage in it, um, but it is important for you to understand like how these systems work in order for us to work toward changing and dismantling them, to be quite honest. So if you can imagine like you know, there's, there are no other issues really that we say, oh, I'm not going to engage in that. But then we, we encourage people to not learn about it, right? So you should still learn about it, even if you're not necessarily actively engaging in it. And on that note, um, so I said I was going to talk about what I did for the election. So this, this year, I actually did not vote. Last, last uh, presidential election, I voted, but I voted for the Green Party. Um, I lived in Virginia at the time. And while Virginia's surprisingly became a kind of unsafe state that year uh, because Tim Kaine was the VP pick we kind of all assumed that Virginia was going to go blue no problem it did eventually go for Clinton um, but it it was tough and I think you know like my my opinion at the time was that I was not voting for Clinton anyway and I didn't care if Virginia was a swing state and blah 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 you know like I think I still um, I still believe that people should vote for the candidate that they like the most and that they agree with the most. And that is our right as citizens. Um, you know, I still stand by that. So I'm not ashamed of my vote for Jill Stein. I don't feel like I'm a quack or anything like that. Um, and I don't agree with, you know, vote shaming. I think people should vote based on the candidate that they feel is best suited for the job and best aligns with their principles and beliefs. And of course, there's also an argument for strategic voting, which I don't disagree with. I just don't think that it's necessary to like berate people and hit people over the head to vote a certain way. Um, however, I think in this election, you know, we did see a lot of that. And so I guess this isn't a however, it's just sort of like switching gears. We did see a lot of vote shaming and berating and things like that, despite the fact that both candidates had very little to offer. And I recognize that, you know, in terms of foreign policy in particular, both candidates were, are, were bad. On the domestic front, however, I think that Biden presented a better option just in terms of like coronavirus stuff. And, um, you know, it's sort of a degree of like no healthcare or washed, washed out, washed down, whatever healthcare that's not as good as it needs to be. So it's, it's sort of like you have a, I don't know, a like a, a completely empty glass, like shards of glass versus a glass with like a drop of water in it. You're going to go with the one that has a drop of water in it. And I actually, however, did not vote in this election. Um, I voted in the primary for our mayoral candidate because we unfortunately, and I also, I'm sorry, I voted for Bernie delegates to go to the DNC because um, there was, uh, at the time, we didn't really know what was going to happen with the DNC. We didn't know what was going on. And there was no, unfortunately, no option to vote for once it got to us. So I live in Maryland, for those of you who may not know. And in Maryland, it's a solidly blue state. Um, and we, unfortunately, didn't get a chance to vote for anyone in the Democratic primary because it was already, like, Biden was already the nominee by the time um, it was going to get to us, which I think was around April or something. It was fairly late 
in the primaries. Um, so I voted for, for mayor here and, you know, um, some delegates for the DNC and things like that, small things. Um, uh, but when it came to the presidential election, as I said, because I live in a solidly blue state and because of the electoral college, I'm somewhat disenfranchised by virtue of that, unfortunately. And I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to vote. I had the option to do mail-in ballot. Um, and it was just sort of a hassle because, I was going to do it online and then there was all this stuff going on. And then when I went to the online option, I'd have to like print it out. We don't have a printer. I'd have to go to Kinko's, you know, there's like, or not Kinko's. Oh my God. Is it even Kinko's anymore? FedEx. I'm old. Um, but we would have to, I would have to like leave my house to go print it and just, there were so many steps to it. And I wasn't about that. Um, I think just like they should have just done it like they did during the primaries during which they just sent us our ballots, which was great. And it's unfortunate that they didn't also do that for the presidential election. I'm not really sure why they didn't. I think it has to do with voter suppression. I could be wrong. But anyway, um, I don't want to go over too much here because it's already uh, been many, many minutes. But I just wanted to say that, in short, I think it's important to speak to children about politics. I think there are many ways to do it that's on their level and that you can make you can use everyday activities as a way to talk about these things. And you want to make sure, in my opinion, that your child is politically engaged and aware because I think we try to sort of, in, a, in the process of shielding our child or our children, we're actually still allowing for a type of worldview that may not reflect reality, right? So if we're just showing them Disney all the time, you know, or whatever, fill in the blank, like, whatever cartoon is popular at the moment you have to question what are the politics of that cartoon or what are the politics of disney and for many leftists we know the politics of disney are about making money and not really you know not always the best in terms of values to impart to our children um in terms of equality and things like that so it's really it's really really important that we intervene and step in and and show an alternative to our children um, by explaining first what's going on and then it, then explaining further that there is a way to make change and that they can be a part of that change. I know as a child, um, you know, my mother spoke to me fairly basically about things um, and, you know, like issues and world events and whatnot, but I also was allowed, I was allowed to watch the news um, I was allowed to read the paper, which again, news and newspapers nowadays are just so hyper corporate and terrible. So it may not be the best option, but there are alternatives, right? There are alternative news sources that you can use um, for your child. But I think that that was important for me to become a, a very politically informed child. I was engaged in, you know, like, environmentalist stuff and animal rights stuff and feminist stuff and pro-black stuff and you know I was engaged in a lot of things within my capacity as a child and I for me personally that was really important to becoming who I am today and I'm actually to the left of my mother my mother's liberal you know like fairly centrist but I think just being exposed to those things allowed me to formulate my own my own opinions and my own way of thinking about things. And so it wasn't that my mother was necessarily pushing things on me, but she was showing me things. She was exposing me to things. And it allowed me to, with her guidance, form my own opinions about what was happening in the world 
And it also gave me, and I think this is the most important part of this, it gave me a sense of curiosity. It gave me a desire to learn more. And that is perhaps one of the most important things about having informed and politically aware children is that it won't stop necessarily with us. They will continue on this journey and continue to learn and educate themselves and then even further formulate their own ideas and opinions about these politics and these these moments and issues that are affecting their lives. And if any time is good, it's now. You know, like there there's so many things happening to children here and around the world that they really need to be aware of what's going on in order to protect themselves as well. So with that said, I hope everyone's doing well out there, staying safe. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up for those of you who are in the United States. Please, 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 please be careful. Wear a mask, wash your hands. If you're going to visit family, be aware that if you don't wear a mask, you're risking their health and yours. So please wear a mask, engage in social distancing, um, quarantine if need be prior to these events. But uh, the best and safest thing is to stay home and protect yourself and enjoy your family together, even if it's smaller this Thanksgiving in that space. And also another thing really quickly on the note of the uh, podcast itself, use a moment like Thanksgiving to talk about the issues and the problems with Thanksgiving in and of itself to your children and explain, you know, like holiday, the holiday is a little bit different um, from what actually happened and why. And you, there are ways again to do that, that are kid friendly and you'll have the smartest kid on the block. So stay safe for everyone. Take care of yourselves. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Left Pocket Project podcast. Be sure to check out more on the podcast by going to our Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash leftpoc for free content. And by free, I mean literally free for everyone, patrons or not. But if you'd like to donate to the podcast to keep us afloat and to keep all of our content free, feel free to donate a dollar or more per month. Uh, And again, that's patreon.com slash leftpoc. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media such as Twitter or Facebook by searching simply for leftpoc. That's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.